Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. It's not all sunshine and blue sky, of course. Florida and the Sarasota area have ugly parts that most of us just don't see. I don't mean a rundown building or neighborhood, but the very nasty world of sex trafficking. But thankfully, one local organization is dedicated to bringing light into this darkest of worlds. Hi, I'm your host, Bob Williams. I believe the secret sauce of any community is when you listen to each other's stories. It's one of the true pillars to the local culture and connects us in a way that cannot be done any other way. In fact, that's why I created the Sarasota Stories podcast. I started it so that you could get connected just a little deeper in this wonderful community we call home. In each episode, I interview a neighbor of ours who is doing great work in impacting our town in positive ways. So you'll hear from authors, artists, entrepreneurs, civic leaders, and others share how they chose their profession, what they're working on now, and what their plans are for the future. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Stacy Efall of SalaFreedom.com. This organization is dedicated to helping victims of the sex trafficking trade. In today's episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about Stacy: what caused her to transition from the humane society dealing with animals to the much tougher world of people and sex trafficking, what Sala Freedom does and the crucial services they provide, what most people don't know about sex trafficking, how you can get involved as a caring and concerned citizen, and much, much more. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And remember to listen, learn, but most importantly, to connect. Stacey Efall of the executive director of thesaleoffreedom.com, bringing light into the darkness of sex trafficking. Stacey, welcome to the Sarasota Stories podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Well, uh, I'm happy to have you on, and I can't say that I enjoy interviewing, doing interviews like this. It's a whole lot more fun talking about people that are building businesses and people that are doing that type of stuff. But on the other hand, you all are doing some really cool stuff in a subject that none of us really want to deal with. Not that you're doing cool stuff. You're doing you know, incredible things. And um, I want to get into that because, you know, no one wants to talk about sex trafficking, but it's it's absolutely essential that we have organizations like you uh, out there on the front dealing with such things. But 
I want our listeners to know a little bit about you before we get into the tougher topic of today's subject. And that is what's one thing most people don't know about you. Well, I grew up in the military family and I lived in England and I actually went to high school in Turkey, which was an amazing experience and kind of got me on the, you know, thinking about the path to social services. My goodness. In Turkey. Now yes. that's a far flung place from most of our experiences here. What uh, was that like? It was an amazing experience, but when you're yeah. 15 and you're told you're moving to Turkey, and this was, you know, before the internet, I had to get out the encyclopedia and see where Turkey is and what it was. And oh, sure. But once I got there, I, I absolutely loved it. It was just a, you know, experience that most teenagers wouldn't get to have. Yeah, of course. And I've always, you know, the mantra that you know travel is the best educator of all. I think, in some regards, it's very, very true. It's interesting. My, I never served in the military, but I will say, both my parents, my mother and father, met at the Pentagon during the uh, Korean War. Oh. And I always, huh. it's one of the things I always wish I'd done. Is spend a few years in the military. I think it would help me grow up a little faster. I think it does. And it's not no, it's not nose kid. You know, thought he knew everything way back when. Well, well, that's interesting. Well, let's yeah. talk about let's let's talk a little bit about your background. Uh, you know, after you graduated school, you got your undergrad and your master's and whatnot. You're in the corporate world for a period of time, and then you decided to go the nonprofit route. Why did that appeal to you? Yeah. You know, I grew up, um, my mom was a psychologist and, and when I was going to school, I was trying to decide between counseling or business. I, I loved the business side. Um, I started off in the corporate world, but I was always the corporate employee that did all the volunteer programs and I wanted so bad to be involved in the community. So I started thinking, you know, about going more into nonprofit management. So your first stint then was with the um, Humane Society. No, my first one, I actually ran a food pantry in Brandon for 13 years. Oh, wow. Echo, Emergency Echo, Care yes. Health Organization. Yeah. And that's kind of where I started and um, just took it. It was a really small food pantry with some clothing and just saw the need and took it and grew it into a social service agency that's still doing really well today. And I, I loved using the business side of my brain, but yet helping people. Right. Because I, I have found in some other volunteer organizations, churches, and then a, a private club that I belong to, when you're dealing with volunteers in particular to get things done, that's a completely different dynamic than when you're, you know, your standard of living depends upon whether you do your job or not and you can get fired. Yes. Yeah. I, I find volunteers are like the hardest workers because they're passionate and they want yeah. to be there. But, you know, then they go on vacation a lot and, you know, yeah, that's they right when they can. And um, so it's a little bit different, but it's it's, it's funny. Workers. It's funny. I was a, I was involved with a private club here. And that's the thing. It's like you have certain things you've laid out and, oh, I'm going to be I'm going to be gone for the next three months. Yes. Oh, yes. Just Tell us up front. Tell us it's, up front. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of them were so dedicated. They would find another volunteer to fill their spot when they were gone. So. I find that dedication and passion good. really sometimes trumps a paycheck. Good, good. Then you then you moved on to the Humane Society in Pinellas County yes. and actually mm -hmm. a couple of locations. Talk about that for I a little was, bit. Yeah, I was the director of the Humane Society in Pinellas County. Love animals. Thought I knew everything about animals until I ran a Humane Society and realized there was a lot more to learn. Um, you know, and there you deal with people and animals. People happen to surrender their pets for certain reasons. Um and then, you know, finding the right adopters for the pets, just, it, it was a great experience. And, um, 
luckily I still only have one dog because a lot of times you work at the Humane Society, you end up with about 12 because <laughs> you want to take everybody home. Uh, that would be a, a difficult thing. I grew up in a family of dogs in my formative years. I grew up on a farm and whatnot. We, uh-huh. had, an Irish, we had an Irish wolfhound and a runt bulldog by the name of Bruno. Oh, and uh, so I'm definitely a dog lover. I haven't had one for years. Yeah. And we just got into kind of a lifestyle where we could come and go. And it's just like, I'm actually, my favorite, my favorite dog is a Doberman. Love oh, Dobies. I had one as okay. a kid. His name was yeah. Oliver. And uh, I'd really like to get a Doberman because they can be a guard dog, but at the same time, they're quirky. They're incredibly smart. Oh, yes. Yeah, so but um, I've also liked my lifestyle where I can come and go and don't have to worry about, you know, Oliver back at home that I have to let out and or walk. It is a and, commitment. And sort of I think if you could find a friend you could dog share, it would be the perfect. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Perfect relationship. True. Part-time pet, I guess right. they call it. Yeah. Well, what did, what did you learn before we get into sale of freedom? Because I'm sure people are curious to find out that it's an unusual word, sale of freedom. But before we get into that, what did you, what else did you learn about the humane society? Cause you, cause you know, you, you're dealing with animals and then you were working with people. Yeah. But what did you learn at the humane society? I guess that maybe kind of helped you prepare for getting into the current role that you're serving. At the Humane Society, it, it can be, we again, focused on the very happy side of it, the adoption side, yeah. but the animals being surrendered, it, it was heartbreaking at times. You know, the abuse, we worked with the police department and we would get the animals after they, you know, an abuse case. And um, I just never knew someone could do that to an animal. Like it, yeah. that broke my heart. But on the other side, seeing the staff, um, veterinary staff, we had behavior staff, that just would not give up on these animals and seeing the transformation. I and mean, we had one dog in particular. I, I was very not optimistic it was going to survive, but the staff was not giving up. And he went from not being able to walk at all, just could barely breathe, had tubes out of him. And then within six months, he was a star of our gala or a fundraiser. Yes. So, so many people would have just put him down um, and he got adopted and has a great life. But just seeing that, how, you know, when you come together, right. you really can take a bad situation and just make it into something better. And it's always, yes. I just focus on that side. I, I've seen some of these cases on YouTube. And uh, of course, what's wonderful is they always, they always end up with the, you know, where the, the pet came from, where the dog came from to where they are now. And, yes. Uh, that's, that's really, really cool. So, yeah. well, yes. Yes. but now you're dealing with men, well, primarily with women, but mm-hmm. also with men or yep. boys. And you transitioned really from the world of pets and animals into human beings at Sela Freedom. Tell us a little bit about Sela Freedom. Sela is an unusual word. What you know? What does that mean? And a little bit about the history and locations. Just give us broad strokes about Sela Freedom, if you will. Yeah, Sela is a Hebrew word that means pause, reflect, rest. So. That's really what we do at our time when we find a victim and that they're a victim when we find them and maybe we turn them into survivors and really give them that time to just stop and think, what am I going to do now? Um, we take care of all of their basic needs and, and then some, which I'm sure we'll get into, but just really giving them that time to stop and we take care of everything so they can get a life plan together. So is, is Sela Freedom just here in the Sarasota area, or do you have different locations? We're just here. Um, we serve eight counties right now in the, oh, okay. throughout the Tampa Bay area. 
Um, but we're just here. We, we have launched one of our newest divisions is our consulting program where we're training people to go open safe houses in, um, throughout the U S and, and we do, I'm sorry, we do have a small program in Chicago, still our prevention program where we go in the schools and educate the youth up there. So let's talk about, let's talk about sex trafficking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so give us some perspective here. When people hear the term sex trafficking, they may shy away from it, or they may have heard it, or they may have seen a program on TV or some, some, something of that nature. But give us a perspective when we hear the term sex trafficking, what does that actually mean? And give us a little bit of the scope of what the, this area of the country is dealing with. Yeah, the the Tampa Bay area in general, Sarasota, Tampa Bay, is a, a pretty um, high incident location. So Florida is number three in the U.S. and Tampa is right up there next to Miami in the state of Florida. So it's very prevalent in our area. Um, it's happening all the time. I think what's um, inter interesting now that a lot of people, you know, the old old time you used to see, or, or you think of someone just as a prostitute. But what, you know, I have learned from the time of being here is that almost pretty much about 90% of prostitutes are being trafficked. So I think it's just the public understanding that and, you know, knowing that these men and women do, women do not want to do what they're doing. Um, in order to prove trafficking, you have to prove either fault fraud, force, or coercion. So that means somebody is controlling them and making them do this and typically keeping the majority of the money. Yeah, I was going to say, and when you mean the term traffic, you mean they're actually being sold. Yes. And now, you know, in the olden days, you saw prostitutes walking up and down the street, but now everything's online and they it's almost like a booking system, like you can book a hotel room. It's a very intricate, you know, system, very complicated um, they change the websites a lot and they communicate a lot, trying to stay, you know, 10 steps ahead of the authorities. So it's really just kind of open West or open. The, the Internet has, of course, been so magnificent for business and it, it making legitimate transactions. But yeah. then there's just this deep, deep, dark side of it as well. Right. Yeah, it sure is. Well, what, what are some of the services that you all provide? I, we were talking before we hit record here and that you have four or five different pillars that you use, um, advocacy and awareness, prevention, outreach, and residential. Talk about the advocacy part of Sela Freedom. Yeah, what is that? That's our, our awareness team, and that's really us doing things like this, getting out into the community, educating right. um, you know, everybody, citizens, business leaders, parents about what is going on. Um, it's very easy to, you know, act like it's not happening in your community because it's not something you see that often. It's, it's no. behind doors. It's not out in the middle of the streets. It's, it's done in the dark. Know. It's done in the dark for a reason. Correct. Correct. So that, that's really our team. And then um, fighting for tougher legislation, um, you know, tougher punishments for traffickers, um, pushing for um, also funding, and luckily right now we do have a state attorney um, general that she is just very dedicated to ending sex trafficking. So right now, and same with the governor, they do understand it's a problem and they're not turning a blind eye to it, which we really appreciate. So they are pushing funding to help us, which is very helpful. 
Right. What's what's your residential program? We have two safe campuses in the area, um, one in Hillsborough County, one in Manatee. The first one is our is our short term home. So this is where everybody goes to begin with. Um, six to eight weeks, immediately um, starting with trauma therapy, counseling. Um, they're often going through detox at this point because if you can only imagine. Drugs is a big part of this. Um, the traffickers, one of the first things they try to do is get the victim hooked on drugs so they can control them, um, get them medical care, you know, immediately to the doctor. And um, so we, that's the six to eight things where we kind of just take them, get them a little bit healthier, almost like a triage. And we then develop a plan. Like, what do you want to do? Um, often they need to go back to where they're from. Sometimes they're from out of state different cities. So we will, we have a whole wonderful network that helps us get them back to where they need to be, or they need to go into a long-term program. So they, if they're a good fit for our program, we will put them into our, our other campus. And on that campus, there's three houses and there's the first house they go into and in that we provide all of the um, basic needs, food, clothing, housing. At this point, they have to identify an educational or career goal because we have to get them to be able to be self-sufficient. Mm. And so we do a lot with employment and career counseling and that I love because this is where they get to dream. Like what, when you were little, you didn't, you know, they often say, I didn't wake up and say, I want to sell myself. You know, that wasn't their life dream. So what did you want to do? What do you, so we um, have a lot of success stories in that area that hopefully we'll get into that. And then we also um, provide the counseling continuous trauma therapy, mental health counseling. We do art therapy, equine therapy to get them to be mentally stable and also continue with the health. You know, I, I guess what I find most fascinating about this is someone comes to you and it's not, you really have to deal with the whole person. It's not only getting them out of that environment or getting them out from someone who's abusing them or controlling them, but you have to deal with the social, excuse me, with the mental aspect yeah. of it as well. And those memories, maybe they can be kind of pushed. As, well, they're going to be there forever. Right. We do a lot. We have several um, psychologists that we contract with that specializes in trauma therapy and overcoming trauma. So that's helpful. You know, another thing I didn't really think about till I started working here is you know, typically someone gets into sex trafficking in their teenage years and they get out of it about seven years later. That's the average time. So if you think about what they lost during those years, you know, not finishing high school, not going to college, prom, all of those things. But so a large piece of our program is also teaching them uh, basic life skills, budgeting, right. you know, cooking, health classes, you know, right. finance. So that's, it is a lot. So the, the program takes up, up to two years. We have some that have been there a little bit longer. But um, the one thing is they're, they're all, they're grateful and they, they want to move forward and they, they're eager to learn. So that's, that makes it easier. <laughs> so at what age does this normally start? I mean, 12, 14 years of age? Yeah, they say anywhere. The average was 12 to 16 years age is when it's starting. So but some kids grow up like in an abusive home yeah. anyways, and it's mm -hmm. even much younger. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, there's. A lot of cases like that. Um, what's unfortunate, there's cases where they're, you know, they're being sold by their family member 
parents, uncles. It just seems it's just like unconscionable to think that. Yeah. Yes. It's often a root of drugs and they've often, often those parents have either drug addiction right. or they've been abused too. It's a cycle that just continues. It's a generational that, thing. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Which is, that's what we really get into with the trauma therapy, try to get to that root. Well, I want to talk abuse. a little bit. I want to talk a little bit later about, you know, how you offload this stuff because you know, like if you're swimming in this, you know, you have to keep yourself mentally strong and healthy and whatnot. But, but I guess my, my, my question would be what's, I guess, give me a typical scenario of someone who comes to you and I, they're all individuals, obviously and you have to deal with them as, as individuals and human beings, but give me a, a scenario that uh, most people would not think would be a trafficking case. The typical is someone in, in, we deal more with women. Um, we do have men in our program too, but typically it's a, a young woman in her early twenties who started being trafficked in her late teens. So that's about the average age um, that, that we're dealing with in the homes. A lot of girls, you know, 20 to 25 years old. And many times they have been trafficked by someone who they knew and who, or they started to know and they just, the traffickers can be very tricky. They often take a long time to groom them, um, get them to love them, you know, become their boyfriend, and then gradually it just turns abusive. Um, just kind of like a domestic, in a, similar to domestic violence, you know, they often don't right. start off abusive or you would never hang around them. <laughs> so it, it's a long process. You know, I was really struck by Mia's stories. Um, and just for our listeners, uh, saleoffreedom.com has wonderful resources and a lot of media uh, connections there. But Mia did an interview with you on ABC7 Suncoast View with Linda Carson a while back. And what struck me about her is she said she came from a, a stable home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mom and dad were there. And it was her teenage years, and she just kind of started hanging out with the wrong crowd, and things went downhill from there. Talk yeah. talk about that a little bit. It, it does happen. It's you know the majority are from some sort of abusive background, right. but no, I mean just like like anybody's child could somehow get you know hooked on drugs too. It's just you got to be so aware. If you, it always goes back to that old thing, like you become what you hang around. Also. So just, you know, who you're hanging around and, and, you know, teenagers are very vulnerable. They, they act tough, but they're often easily manipulated, which is why they're prime targets for the traffickers. And it just, and again, happens slowly often. It's just a gradual process of hanging out with the wrong people. And then someone's playing chess and you're playing checkers, I guess is the old story. Yeah. They have alternative designs on you. Oh my. Mm-hmm. You know what I was blown away by was one of the statistics is, thir- is that just under 30% of the trafficked people are boys. Yes. And, and the boys, I, they deal with a whole different realm of emotions. You know, we, we, you know, there's one, one of our graduates is a male and he said he felt was dealt with so much shame because as a boy, he should have been able to fight them off. Oh, sure. Stronger. Sure. He should have told them. And, and often um, some of them are, forced to do like they might be um, heterosexual, but they're forced to be with men. And that's a whole nother um, dealing of shame. If you're not doing what your, your body feels like it should be doing. Of course. Um, so that is. And that's fun. where the psychologist is becomes invaluable to talk them through that. Yes. 
Yeah. But our male graduate, you know, he graduated, has a job, an apartment, and he actually got married, and they have a little a little son. Uh, so yeah, they move on. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's a that is and that's a wonderful point. Mm-hmm. Share with us a couple of share with us a couple other stories that I guess that you cherish of people that have come through your program and now are leading productive lives. Yeah, we have, well, we have seven graduates work for us now, and they are. Oh, wow. I mean, all of our staff is amazing, but they can really relate to the our survivors in our program, and I think it's so encouraging for them. You know, we have some of them on our outreach team, and they can go into the jails and. Some of them have actually been recognized by people in the jails like, oh, didn't you? And they can see like, oh, well, if you can change and you can do this, I can do it too. They're more relatable um, versus from someone who's never been traumatized or anything. It's, it's harder to relate. So that and just seeing how far they've come. I've seen their before photos, um, see them in the program and then after graduation. And they are very, very passionate Um we had one who even went up and, you know, she presented before the, to Ashley Moody, the attorney general. And you just think, Hey, that's someone who has used their pain and now they're fighting for change and fighting to make it better for other people. Is, is, that is so wonderful. That's so wonderful mm-hmm. to hear stories like that because you're dealing with such a, a gut wrenching topic. And then to hear people coming out of that and now they are being, I guess, leaders for others that are in the program. Do you, do you pair do you pair graduates with incoming uh, you know men and women boys and girls that are that are have been trafficked? Yeah, well, we have them working in our safe home, so they're there, and they're also on our outreach team, so they will naturally end up with them somehow at some point in the program. Um, they also get um, in our residential programs. They get a mentor, which actually is just a community volunteer who is there for them helping them, um, and then our regular staff, too. So you've been with Sailor Freedom for just under a year, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. What has surprised you in that time? I mean, obviously, you looked at the organization. You know what they do. I'm sure you did a lot of research. But then you come in, and now you're, you know, you're live. You're hands-on. But what are some things that have surprised you? Well, the horrible side of it, the stories I've heard. And yeah. What, again, like what I said with the Humane Society, I – I am appalled at what other humans can do to other humans and, you know, controlled by greed, um, just greed and power that, that appalls me. But one thing that really attracted me to Sailor Freedom was the success of the program and how comprehensive it was and how, you know, when I was interviewing, just understanding that, like you said, nothing has been left, like working on everything from education to mental health counseling to all of it and seeing their success is very encouraging and then learning the vast amount of this problem and how big it is and how we have to do something. I mean, we can't just keep letting these traffickers take our children. Like it's just something has to be done. And, you know, trust me, there's many days I want to stick my head in the sand and not <laughs> learn anymore. Uh, well, you know, uh, yes, I know. I know. Do, do you guys, do you coordinate with some of the other organizations like Spark or uh, Second Heart Homes? I've had b- both of them on my show. Yeah, we, we try very hard to work with other organizations. You can't, you can't, we can't do it all. I mean, our we're actually on a waiting list right now with our safe house. So you, you just can't. And then also trying to find the right program that's designed for them. You know, what what's going to be the best program? If they're going to go into a two-year program, what's the best one? We're not right. always the best fit. And then sometimes they're not always the best fit, but we, we do coordinate because 
can't, you can't tackle this alone. <laughs> I should have given a shout out early on to my, uh, my new friend, Captain Dimitri Kostinopoulos, yeah. who yeah. is with the Sarasota Police Department. And in his interview, he said probably the most uh, impactful thing in his career was working with you all. Talk about how you work with the police force in order to place um, victims into your organization. Yeah, we have a wonderful relationship with the, the local police. Um, starting back when Sela first started, it's first changing the mentality around prostitution and changing that mindset. Like that's just another prostitute that just keeps, you know, with an endless cycle, arrest, 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 get out, arrest. There was no change being made and, and getting them to see that they're victims are being forced to do this. They don't want to do this. So Sarasota Police Department has been wonderful and, you know, working on that and their officers go through training too. And when someone gets arrested for, with prostitution, trying to identify, are they being trafficked and getting past the prostitution charge? Um, we've also started the, the Tyla program in Sarasota, the turn your life around. So if someone has a charge of prostitution, we work with the state attorney's office and the police department and they go through about a two-year program. And they, if they finish and graduate the program, um, they can actually have their prostitution charges expunged from their records. How do you identify, how would someone identify or suspect that someone's being trafficked? Because again, in some of my research, there are hand signals that you try to teach to victims of trafficking. Um, and there was like a several step process of questions that you go through. T share with our listeners what that is. Yeah. Well, typically the first answer is no, I'm not being trafficked. Just like often someone's being abused, domestic violence, they often say no, because they don't, they're more scared of a trafficker than they're scared of jail. <laughs> so um, turning your trafficker in is no easy task. Um, yes. If you can imagine going against someone who just completely controls you. Um, they have to, there's definitions of sex trafficking. There has to be fraud, force, or coercion, or money exchanged. Um, so just trying to get them to open up and earn their trust. It often takes several times with them being arrested and us visiting them and just not giving up on them um, until they'll trust us. They have to trust us more than, you know, and then the, having them to open up and see what's happening to them. Right. T talk some more about, I guess, the training that you do for, for volunteers, because I'm on your website right now. And one of the tabs is, of course, training and events. Uh, what, what, so if, if someone volunteered for, to come and work with you, what would that training look like? We, um, it kind of depends on what they want to get into. Like if they just want to work in the office doing paperwork, it's, you know, then we go through the basic training um, if they want to work with survivors, there's a lot more intensive training, you know, right. on working with victims of trauma, um, care team training. We go in pretty depth. And then if they want to become a mentor, there's even more training for that because we want to I make bet. sure that, number one, that they're ready mentally to do this and that, so that they don't get traumatized and also that they don't, you know, re-traumatize one of our survivors you know, a lot about setting healthy boundaries because we all want to help as much as we can. But right. We're very strict on boundaries and what they can and cannot do. And It, it looks like you have several, for lack of a better term, seminars that, that last a couple of hours. One of them is awareness training and then prevention trainings. Mm -hmm. 
the awareness is more for the general public. Our prevention team is really the ones that are educating the youth. And that's where I am so passionate about. I mean, all, all of the programs, but if, if we can get in front of the kids now and stop this from happening, it's just like any social problem, like, you know, skin cancer, you, you know, the doctors educate you like how to not get skin cancer. Like we're, we're out there in the schools and um, we often have our survivors go speak to them. And, you know, there's so much now with, um, you know, it's came to light with the Epstein and um, all of that whole bunch of sugar dating right. where they're luring these young youth in with promises of designer purses and you know this and that the sugar dating i saw that on your site it is a term i was not familiar with i'm glad i was not familiar with <laughs> what is sugar dating it's it's a typical will be an older adult luring in a younger individual not really paying for it because, oh, that's prostitution, but buying them all sorts of expensive, you know, things, gifts, promising a lavish lifestyle. And it often starts that way. And then it just becomes extremely abusive. And then they're, then they own them. You see, again, just that gradual process yes. that they, uh, they take them through and then they're, then they're kind of trapped. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, as, as we kind of wind up here, talk about what is Angels Club? That's our uh, monthly giving club, you know, as a, a nonprofit. We're always, you know, trying to fundraise and it just helps us know each month that that amount is coming in. And I think it starts at like $25 a month. And, you know, if somebody wants to help and help in sex trafficking, they have no idea what they could do just supporting, you know, sailor freedom or another organization that's, that's fighting sex trafficking. Right. It's one big way to just help with the problem. Right. And I can think of no better way to, to give your money. Um, so are you are you supported only by private donations? So we get um, probably about sixty percent from the state and federal right. government, which is right. wonderful. But you obviously but, obviously yeah. need the private donors yes. to fill in those gaps. As oh well. yes, yeah. Well, let's let's end on a high note here. You got some statistics of of the good stuff of people that go through your program. Eighty seven percent of survivors graduate. Do not return, excuse me, 87% survivor graduates do not return to the streets. 100% of the survivors in your res, residential program are pursuing their educational career goals. 6,200 plus survivors have been served through your residential and outreach programs. 27,300 plus children and adults have been trained through your prevention program. 171 million plus have been educated through your awareness program. Children reunited with their mothers, daughters reconnected with their families. Obviously, your support, our support, my support provides general freedom for these people that just need all the love that they can get. And, um, you know, Stacy, I appreciate you being on this show. Is there anything else that you want to leave us about Sailor Freedom? It is just a wonderful organization and seeing the, the life change. And you know, if you want to get involved and help somebody who has had a bad start to their life, often at, typically at no fault of their own and giving them that chance to have that life that they dreamed of. They just need a little push up, a lift up. Um, they're very hardworking individuals and so grateful. Well, to our listeners, sailorfreedom.com, that's S-E-L-A-H, freedom.com, sailorfreedom.com. you also be found on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Stacy, thank you very much for being on the program. And I sure look forward to having you or some of your other 
uh, staff members and and uh, graduates on this show. It's a magnificent program, and I Thank appreciate you. very much having you on the show. Thank you. Really appreciate it. All righty. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. Connect.